right, well, good morning, church. Welcome back to our series that we're calling Seven as we look at the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Uh, We are in week five this week, and we really hope that you have been blessed by this series thus far. I know for Pastor Dave and myself, it has just been a pleasure preaching it, so we're so glad that you have uh, been joining us. Now, as we start today, I want to show you an old piece of technology. Does anyone remember what this is? Right, some might even use it still. If you don't know, that is an alarm clock, right? This, this one actually may be more familiar, a digital alarm clock. More of you probably use this. Now, when I was in high school and college, so, uh, this was right next to my bed to help me wake up uh, in the morning. Now, today, some people have the option of using smartphones as an alarm. And uh, with the smartphone, you can choose all different kinds of sounds, right? You can have music playing. You can have something blaring. But with these old-school digital alarm clocks, and if you go back a couple years, there was really only one choice on how you could wake up. Do you remember what it was? Beep, 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 beep. And every time that went off in the morning, I was startled as I was waking up and wondering who was trying to, you know, come after me. Now, I also have to give credit to the person who invented these digital alarm clocks because they recognized that some people, uh, and... Some of you out there can say amen to this. Once violently aroused from their sleep by this beeping sound would not want to start their day immediately. So the makers of this product installed one of the greatest inventions known to mankind, the snooze button. Some of us out there are lovers of the snooze button. In fact, when I was in high school and college, this button was my countermeasure to that beep, beep, beep of the alarm clock. And once I hit that button once, every nine minutes, the alarm clock would screech to life, attack my ears, and beg me to wake up. But I would hit the button once again, convincing myself that nine more minutes of sleep would be the greatest thing in human history. Now, after about an hour of this, my mom would finally come into the room and shout, Bob, get up! I was the snooze button champion of my house which didn't win me any friends in my home or my dorm room. And so as I look back on those days, I've come to realize something very profound. I wasn't training myself to wake up to my alarm clock. I was training myself to sleep through my alarm clock. And really, the alarm clock is no good if it does not wake you up on time. Now, friends, the same can be true about our spiritual lives. Some of us are living out what I'll call snooze button Christianity. That if we don't train ourselves to be awake and aware spiritually, we'll sleepwalk through the Christian life unaware of what God is doing in our lives. The great British preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, I believe that a very large majority of churchgoers are merely unthinking, slumbering worshipers of an unknown God. In other words, it is possible to go through all the religious motions but miss the depths of what God is doing in the world. And so fittingly, this week we'll be looking at the church in Sardis. Now Jesus' great indictment against the church at Sardis was that they were sleepy Christians who needed to be roused to greater faith. And why was that? Well, let's consider some background on the church at Sardis. Sardis was a city filled with sophisticated paganism. The Greeks and the Romans both had made a cultural and religious impact on this city. 
And at the same time, there was a sophisticated and powerful and significant Jewish population in the city. The Jewish population was so wealthy and powerful that they even built a synagogue the size of a football stadium in the city. It was thought to be the largest of antiquity, and it sat right next to the great gymnasium, which was the center of pagan Greek culture. Now, the existence of this Jewish community was significant because of a really noticeable thing that's missing from this letter. Just like last week, there was no persecution going on in Sardis. There was no mention of it. Why? Well, in Roman society, certain religions were viewed as legal and others as illegal. And Judaism was considered a legal religion and Christianity was viewed as one of their sects. So because this Jewish community was so powerful, the Christians were able to hide behind their influential status. And as a result, Christians were tolerated in Sardis more than other cities. In other cities, they were considered freaks. In other words, as long as they didn't stand out for their faith, they were safe. So they attempted to blend in and not be noticed. They had this comfortable coexistence with their Jewish and pagan neighbors. And when that happens, it's really easy to fall asleep. That when Christians live in a culture that is favorable to their beliefs, it is easy to become sleepy. And so it's when the culture shifts that the Christian worldview is not as dominant, it's more necessary for us to wake up. We feel it more. Now, missiologist Dr. Ed Stetzer recently wrote a book entitled Christians in an Age of Outrage. And in the book, he identifies three categories of Christians in America. The first one, he says, are cultural Christians. Now, people in this category are those that identify as Christian because they're not something else. I'm, I'm a Christian, I guess. The second category is congregational Christians. And these are the people who attend you know, church on Christmas and Easter, maybe the occasional wedding and funeral. Finally, there's the convictional Christians. And these are people who attend church regularly, uh, those whose values align with a biblical worldview. And the important point in the book that he makes is this. Contrary to popular belief that the church is losing people, convictional Christians have not declined in numbers but the other two groups have shifted in a decidedly more secular direction. And I think you might feel this implicitly. In other words, the culture in general used to be more influenced by the Christian worldview, but now it's not. Here's what he says. He says, as a result of the collapse of mainline Protestantism and the growth of secularism, convictional Christianity has incrementally moved outside the American cultural mainstream. He goes on. At the number, and then as the numbers of cultural and congregational Christians decrease, the worldview and values of these Americans have shifted toward the secular stream and away from that of convictional Christians. Now pause for a moment and ask yourself the question: what type of Christian am I? Am I a cultural Christian? Am I a congregational Christian? Or am I a convictional Christian? And if you're sitting here today and you're a convictional Christian, of which I, I count myself one, you can't blend in anymore if you truly live out your faith. 
And what was happening in Sardis and what we need to beware doesn't happen to us as well is that they were blending in, even downplaying their beliefs so that they would avoid hardship. They were sleepy Christians hitting the snooze button. And so as a result, this church receives no commendation from Jesus. All he does is tell them to wake up, stop hitting the snooze button. Church, are we like Sardis? Are we trying to blend in too much? Are we asleep spiritually? Stop hitting the snooze button and wake up. That's Jesus' word for us today. And to do that, we have to ask three questions. First, we got to ask, what does it mean to be asleep? Second, we got to ask, what does it mean to be awake? And then finally, we have to ask, what will I wear? More on that one in a second. Before we get there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and grace in our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray for my friends that are here today. I pray for the preacher, Lord, that you would rouse us spiritually, Lord, that we would leave today with greater faith. Holy Spirit, would you come and move on our hearts? And we pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So to know if you're asleep spiritually, you have to know what does it mean to be asleep spiritually? Well, Jesus begins, as we have every week, writing a letter to the church at Sardis. It comes in the mailbox, and this is what he says. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, that's a lot of symbolic language, so let's ask, what does that mean? Now, we've already heard in, this, uh, in, in these letters that the seven stars refers to the seven churches in Revelation he's writing to here. But the seven spirits of God, what is that? What's that all about? That's, that's new. And it's odd, right? Um, what does it mean? I mean, don't we believe in one God? Well, most commentators think this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And it's written against the backdrop of the Old Testament book, Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, where in that passage, as well as Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, symbolic language is used to show the Holy Spirit's omniscience. In, in other words, the symbolic use of the number 7 is used to show that the Spirit knows all. That number 7 also signifies his perfection. So at the opening of this letter, Jesus is emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit, why? I'll look at what he says in the second half of verse 1. He says, I know your deeds to the church. You have a reputation of being alive, and yet you are dead. Jesus describes them as being dead. And they needed the power and influence of the Holy Spirit to come alive. Now, that word dead brings up images of Ephesians 2, where we're, talked about what, we're, we're told what it means to be spiritually dead. But I, I don't think that John is using that word in the same way in this context. In fact, uh, the reason for that is when we get to verse 2 in a second, you'll see that Jesus tells the church to wake up. And dead people don't need to be woken up. They need to be made alive. While there may have been some spiritually dead people in the church, I think Jesus is talking to Christians who have become sleepy in their faith and they need to be woken up. More in lines of what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 14. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. 
In other words, it is possible as a believer to neglect your resistance against sin and be influenced by the world's mindset so that you are no longer alert, you are sleepy. Commentator Richard Phillips says this to the church of Sardis. He says, instead of being an influence on the culture, it had become influenced by the culture. They hit the snooze button. So what does it mean to be asleep? Well, in this one verse, Jesus gives us two ways to diagnose whether you are asleep or not. And the first thing he says is this, your reputation is not reality. Your reputation is not reality. So Jesus very pointedly says, you have this reputation of being alive, but yet you're dead. In fact, we saw a similar point last week at the church of Thyatira. The church was growing, we learned. They had love and faith, and yet they were doing, they were doing more than they did at first, but they were tolerating who? They were tolerating Jezebel. Sardis doesn't even get a commendation at all. Jesus just says, you guys are hypocrites. Now think about that word reputation. In fact, it's common to hear in our culture, I have a reputation to uphold, right? I suspect many of us in this room are concerned with your reputation. That if it gets ruined, we really wouldn't know what to do. But let me ask you a question. Is your reputation really the truth about you? Or are you putting forth an image? You see, the reputation we have in the public eye can be one thing, but behind the scenes, in closed doors, in our homes, we live a very completely different way. That if people knew who we really are, our reputation would be ruined. In fact, there's been a lot of high-profile media people recently who have had their reputations ruined, but their reputations weren't reality. And so Jesus says to the church at Sardis, your reputation is not reality. You pretend to be alive, but you're dead. How do we know if we're asleep spiritually? Your inner life and your private life do not match your public life. It is also true that churches can die when they rely too much on their legacy. In fact, Millington Baptist Church here has been around for 168 years, if you didn't know. 1851, we were founded faithfully preaching the gospel for over a century and a half. We have a reputation. But don't let that reputation be everything that you're resting on. You always, always have to take your spiritual pulse. And what Jesus says to Sardis is your spiritual pulse is faint. See, when we hear that word dead, we think of somebody who's completely gone. But a better way of thinking about it is almost dead. Like somebody who's in a spiritual coma. It's a state of unconsciousness where people appear dead, where you, you still have a pulse if you take it, but it's really faint. Now, did you know when you go to sleep that your spiritual pulse, if you look like this, actually slows down significantly? That your body is in a state of rest. It's not alertness. Some of you feel this way right now. And if you wear a fitness tracker like, like a Fitbit, like I do, and you take that, you have to wear it to bed if you want to get an accurate reading of your resting heart rate because when I look at my app and I look at where my heart rate was when I was sleeping, it drops significantly. Your heart rate is different when you are asleep, but when you wake up, your heart rate jumps up and you're much more alert. And so as it applies to our spiritual lives... This is the person who goes through all the religious motions, 
but is in a state of rest. They go through all the motions in their Christian life, but do you have an alert heart rate or a sleepy one? Maybe we attend church. We occasionally read the Bible. We occasionally do a missions project, but our heart is not captured by Jesus. That the fire of the Holy Spirit is not coursing through our veins. You you know all the answers, but there's no passion behind what you do. You may be alive, but you're almost dead. You're sleepy. Your spiritual pulse is faint. So let me ask a really personal question. Is that you? Are you a sleepy Christian? Now, some of us in this room are starting to say, preach it, Pastor Bob. This person next to me, I saw them. They're asleep and they need to wake up. Somebody out there say, wake up. Before you start judging the people around you, I would invite you to take a look at your own heart and life. Does your reputation reflect reality? How strong is your spiritual pulse? See, Tim Keller says it this way. He says, Christians are always falling asleep, asleep, or just awakened. And what he means by that is to be asleep means you're in this spiritual dream world. And to be, to be spiritually awake means that you're, you're now living in reality. Once you wake up, you are on your way to falling asleep again. I mean, this morning you woke up, and this, tonight you're going to go back to sleep. But right now you're on your way to falling asleep again. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. And so the Christian life is one where we must always fight to keep ourselves awake We're always in one of three groups. Which are you? And if you want to know which one you are, you should ask yourself the question, how real is Jesus to me? Because if you are falling asleep or you're asleep, Jesus probably doesn't really feel real in your life. But if you are just awakened or you're really alertly awake, Jesus feels more real than ever before. See, churches and Christians that stay awake are always concerned with keeping themselves awake. Now, many times, our level and quality of sleep has to do with the pillow that we own. And I got to tell you, if I don't have the right pillow, I don't sleep very well. In fact, a few years ago, I went to the chiropractor and he recommended that I, I get a different pillow, a pillow that maybe looks like this. Some of you might, might use one like this, uh, or maybe you, you've bought that my pillow online or something like that because your sweet quality just isn't good. Uh, you know, that has got the little bump here if you're lying on your back. It's got the big bump if you're on your side so that you can lay down and keep your, your spine just, you know, just straight. Now, after I got this pillow, I have to tell you, my sleep quality increased dramatically because I was much more comfortable. I had better and deeper sleep. My wife will tell you I was less grumpy in the morning. The church at Sardis was falling asleep because they were too comfortable with the culture around them. They were were comfortable blending in and going with the flow. In other words, they were enjoying their pillow way too much. They were living a dream. Do you remember that old movie, Inception? That movie was about uh, doing a heist within a dream, and there was this concept that you could have a dream within a dream within a dream, like you could fall deeper and deeper and deeper asleep. And for some Christians, that's how it is. That that, that you're, you're so asleep that you're living your Christian life in a dream. Are you falling asleep? asleep or just awake. See, some of us are dreaming through the Christian life and we need to wake up. We're enjoying our pillow way too much. 
And once you understand what it means to be asleep spiritually, you recognize that there is a constant need to wake up. And that gets us to point number two. Question number two, what does it mean to be awake? So what does it mean to be asleep? What does it mean to be awake? Now, let me give you some more background about Sardis, because this uh, church was settled around 50 miles inland from the city of Ephesus, and they were settled on a mountain. And by the 6th century BC, Sardis was one of the most powerful cities in the ancient world. They were on top of this mountain, and they, and they, they put out this fortified structure called the Acropolis. looks a little bit like this today. It stood 1,500 feet above the lower Valley, And so in head-on-head combat, uh, nobody could penetrate this Acropolis because they couldn't climb up the side of the mountain. It was inaccessible. Nobody could sneak past the watchful guards. But twice in Sardis' history, it was overtaken. Do you know why? They stopped keeping watch. They had fallen asleep. And so these next words of Jesus would have been recalled in people's minds. They would have recalled this history. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. See, if you've fallen asleep during this sermon, it is time to wake up. So the Greek word here could be translated as be watchful or stay alert. And as I mentioned before, these exhortations would have had special significance in Sardis because of their history. But it is a similar thing in our spiritual lives that if we are not awake and watchful, an enemy can sneak into our house and attack us. Are you letting the enemy sneak into your house? Because if an enemy sneaks into your house when you're asleep, by the time you wake up, it's too late because they're already attacking you. You can't even defend yourself. If you're walking around in a spiritual coma, the enemy is having a field day with you. Wake up. What does it mean to be awake? Well, Jesus gives us five ways to avoid a spiritual coma. And the first thing he says here is keep alert. Keep alert that if you cannot stay alert, maybe you need a better alarm clock. Maybe you need an alarm clock that's more loud, more obnoxious than the ones I mentioned at the beginning. Maybe you need an alarm clock that makes it sound kind of like this. That worked a lot better than the first service. (laughs) Who is awake now? See, Jesus says if you want to avoid the enemy coming in your house, you need to keep alert. You need to have people in your life who know you, who can keep you accountable, who can blow the foghorn if something is wrong. Now, the second thing he says is you need to keep exercising if you want to avoid that spiritual coma. In verse 2, Jesus says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found that your deeds, your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Even though Sardis was asleep and dying spiritually, there was still the possibility of recitation. But if you want to avoid early death, you need to eat right, you need to exercise, and as you strengthen your body, you're going to prolong life, right? And so in your spiritual life, if you're not exercising your spiritual muscles, they're going to atrophy really quickly. In fact, Amanda and I started, um, uh, we got a trainer at the gym that we go to uh, because we felt like we needed a stronger regimen to strengthen our muscles. And so we go every couple weeks to get coaching and to give us new exercises so we can strengthen our bodies and be stronger. 
Why is it any different with our spiritual life? Haven't you noticed that you're more alert if you exercise? See, Jesus doesn't stop with point two. He keeps going. He says, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Yes, you need to keep alert. Yes, you have to keep exercising, but those are the first two steps. If you do those, you can get to step number three. You keep reflecting. And what he means by that is Jesus says, remember what you were taught. And so I have to pause for a moment and, se- and for a second and say, that's why theology and doctrine is important. Because churches that have a low view of theology can easily start teaching things that are more cultural than scriptural. And if you want to stay awake, you need to always be reflecting on the things of God found in Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Read it with your spouse before bed. Listen to it when you're in the car. Sit around the dinner table with friends or family. Read Scripture and ask, what does that verse mean? All of that helps us keep alert. Now, here at NBC, I would encourage you to get into a smaller group. In fact, if you're a small group meeting today, you're probably going to talk about this passage of Scripture. So you have a chance to keep yourself awake even tonight or this afternoon. Reflect on Scripture together. Fourth, keep persevering. Jesus says, remember what you have been taught. Hold it fast. In other words, you have to keep persevering in the faith. Friends, that is a word we need to hear today. Because as our culture around us shifts to a more secular worldview and convictional Christians are on the outside of the mainstream, we need to keep persevering. Don't be like Sardis. That church was trying to blend in and and look good on the outside, but on the inside they were dying spiritually. And so the writer of the Hebrews puts it this way, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Do you believe that Jesus is faithful today? Somebody say, he's faithful. What does it mean to be spiritually awake? You know Jesus is faithful. And the final way you know you're awake is to keep repenting. And so let me make this very plain. A Christian who is not repenting is not a Christian. The Christian who keeps repenting daily is a more awake Christian because every day they're recognizing that we are, a, we are great sinners and Christ is a great Savior. Repentance awakens your need for Jesus. It helps you recognize that he is the only source of true life in a dying world. Repent, he says. Turn from your sins. Turn to your real Savior. See, the Christian who has stopped repenting and the church who has stopped repenting are the ones who are falling asleep. The ones who are constantly repenting are the ones who are staying awake and alert. The enemy is not getting in your doors. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to keep repenting. What does it mean to stay awake? It means every day you're on your knees crying out to God for mercy and receiving the mercy of the blood of Jesus on the cross which covers over a multitude of sins. Church, are you asleep or awake? See, some of us are sleeping through the Christian life. We need a better alarm clock. We don't need an alarm clock that plays nice music that puts us back to sleep. No, we need that obnoxious alarm clock that sounds like this. Do you need a better alarm clock? You need to get another Christian in your life who is going to be shouting in your ears, keep alert, keep exercising, 
Keep reflecting. Oh, man. You need somebody better than that. Keep persevering. Keep repenting. Oh. There we go. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep because you have to decide what you're going to wear the next day. Right? And that's our final point. You have to ask, what will I wear? Now, some of you are asking, what in the world is that? That doesn't seem to fit. Well, have you ever had to wake up early the next day and <laughs> you didn't decide what you were going to wear the night before? How stressful is this in the morning, right? Some of you had that experience today. You wake up at 6 a.m., you're, you're walking around your room, you're trying to figure out what you're going to wear, and then you say, hey, I want to wear that, but you realize, man, that, that, that wasn't clean, it's not ironed, and so you throw on some clothes that don't match and you hope nobody would notice. You didn't think to ask the question, what will I wear? Church, what clothes will you wear? Because Jesus says this to the church at Sardis. Yeah, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. All right, so we have a contrast here. There's some people in Sardis who have soiled clothes, and there's others who have clean clothes. What's the difference? Well, it's a significant image because in the temples of Asia at that time and elsewhere, people who came to worship would, would never dare approach the temple with soiled clothes. They would never come before a deity with soiled clothes. No, it, it would indicate an unworthy uh, respect for the gods. No, the, the normal apparel for coming to the temple was white linen because it showed purity and preparedness. And recognize that we do the same thing in our culture today, right? I mean, we live in the Northeast. We love our clothes. Other parts of the country aren't quite like this. And if you go to a job interview and you don't have a, a, a pressed suit, you're looked down upon. And if we attend a, a party dressed down, people look at us funny. It's like, it's like saying your clothes are soiled. You've not shown yourself worthy to be here. But Jesus says the ones dressed in white will walk with me. What does he mean? Well, if you fast forward to Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, we see that those who have walked through the great tribulation will be wearing white robes. That those who persevere and hold fast to the gospel, they are clothed in white garments. Well, how do we get these white garments? Is it, is it our own efforts? Is it our merits? Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That on the cross, Jesus gave, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us to die in our place for our sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took our soiled garments and he gave us his righteousness. It's what theologians call his imputed righteousness. In other words, Jesus laid out the clothes for us. And he told us what to wear. Now think again about what you wear every day. And the reason we're so stressed out when we don't lay out our clothes the night before is because we are concerned what people will think about us. We are concerned that people will judge us based on our ability to, to match our outfit or the shoes that we wear, whether we have the right color for the season. See, we want to wear certain clothes so that we will fit in 
And that's what the believers in Sardis were doing. That sleepy Christians are overly concerned with fitting in, but awake Christians are concerned with standing out. That awake Christians know that Jesus has laid out the clothes for us, so all you need to do is wake up and put on that white robe of righteousness. Take off those old clothes. Put on that robe of white. That when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see those dirty clothes. He sees we, God looks at us and says, I see Jesus' righteousness. His blood has covered over all your sins. Jesus says, you are worthy to walk with me, not because of what you have done, but because of what I have done. My blood covers over your soiled clothes. Wake up to that reality and stop hitting the snooze button. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. See, church, our victory is in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who came to die once for our sins on a cross and who will come again to set all things right in this world. Now, how do you get your name in the book of life? By placing your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That those who are clothed in righteousness And the righteousness of Christ can rest secure because Jesus promises that he will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. Dr. Vody Bauckham sums it up this way. He says, it is him who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That the reason Christ is confident that they will walk with him in white is because he not only saves, but he keeps. And that is good news. Church, don't fit in. Stand out. See, the church at Sardis was not experiencing any persecution, and that, and that begs the question, why? Because they wanted to fit in. They didn't want to rock the boat. Jesus says, don't fit in, stand out. I have saved you, and I am going to keep you. Now, this is an important passage of Scripture, and we need to take it to heart And Vody Bauckham goes on and offers three helpful takeaways I want to share with you as we read this passage of Scripture. The first one, he says, is this. Recognize that we all have a tendency to be liked and respected in our culture. In fact, if we are liked and respected by people in the culture, what is the thing that we often say? Well, we must be doing something right. But should we be liked and respected by the culture or by God? See, Jesus says, don't fit in, stand out. Recognize you have a tendency to want to fit in. Secondly, apply this to how we raise our children. And I think for many of us, that's where the rubber meets the road because all of us want our kids and our grandkids just to to not embarrass us. And too often, we are teaching our children to be afraid of not fitting in that we haven't prepared our kids to stand out. Are we more focused on our kids' actions or on their hearts? Have we taught our children to be secure in the righteousness of Christ or simply to engage in behavior modification? Finally, as we stand out, don't be loud, obnoxious, or unkind. 
You see, some people can swing the complete opposite direction, and they can, they can say, well, this is what we've been talking about, right? People think I'm not fitting in. I'm going to stand out really loudly. I'm going to tell people like it is. We know we're doing it right if everyone hates us. Instead, we should engage the world faithfully and winsomely. And we should be wary, yes, when all people speak well of us, but we should also be wary when all people speak evil of us. Engage the world faithfully and winsomely. In fact, we should be more like Paul in Acts. What did Paul do? He went to both Jew and Gentile, and he preached the gospel. What happened? Some believed, some tried to kill him. But to do that, you have to stop hitting the snooze button. We have to be less concerned with fitting in and more concerned with standing out in a way that brings glory to Christ and loves people. So church, just imagine what it would be like if there was a true awakening among all Christians in this country. I mean, just imagine if all churches stopped hitting the snooze button but instead sought to stand out for the glory of Christ, even if it meant losing our reputation with the world. What would happen? Well, I think a lot of people would be saved. A lot of people would hate what we stand for. But in the end, Jesus will walk with his followers in robes of white. And that's a comforting thought. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. They have one final song. And as they come, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we recognize that we have a tendency to want to fit in. Lord, help us to stand out in a way that brings glory to you. Lord, if we're asleep here today, would you wake us up, Lord? Would you wake us up, wake us up, Lord, that we would desire to, to know you more deeply, that we would desire to make you known more boldly, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come and do your work today in our hearts and in the hearts of our church, Lord, we pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.